This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Can't take you guys anywhere. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, Jeff Sharon here, along with Eric Lopez, Andrew Glutkoff, Kyle Nash, Bryson Turner is also in with us here on this uh First thing, we got a busy show. We're going to talk a little. You know, we were going to talk some some basketball. Eric dropped a really good column today that you should read on the site. But man, this this baseball thing with Clemson has uh, taken a life of its own on the internet, and it just plays into every single stereotype about Clemson University sports. Not to mention UCF's own brand, um, and we're going to talk about that. UCF sweeping Clemson in Clemson. Uh, in baseball, um, John Rice Plumley having a great weekend, uh, and he wasn't the only one. So we'll talk about that in a second. A little bit later on, we'll also uh, g- give a, the well-deserved shout out to UCF women's track winning their winning the indoor championship. Very good sign for the upcoming season as they now head to the outdoor season. But uh, let's go ahead and get started with this with this baseball thing. Oh my gosh. Um, UCF goes into Clemson. All right, this is after, by the way, this is after getting uh, beat midweek by um, <laughs> by FAU. Noah Goldberg's very own FAU Owls, uh, I should say. You go ahead up to baseball. And Clemson is, yeah, I think you could, you could say this is one of, one of the pri- uh, prime baseball um, programs in the, in the country. UCF goes in there. And drops 27 runs en route to a three-game sweep, uh, including a clutch win on Friday that uh, Friday's game that actually went into Saturday because of rain. Beat them 4-2, to 10-7, and then 13-6. And uh, afterwards, uh, a couple of, what really happened was uh, the real fun came afterwards. Like First of all, UCF's baseball team made their way over to Clemson Memorial Stadium, you know, and they have the hill, right? Howard's Rock and all that. And what does UCF do real quick on their way out? Yeah, they they decide to partake in a little run down the hill. Hey, that's fun. You know, if you're there, Clemson, you get the chance to do it. Why not? I mean, we're not going to do it in football anytime soon. So, hey, you know, a little celebration. And then afterwards, uh, the uh, head coach for Clemson, Derek Backage, uh, complained after the third game that UCF was a little, quote, mouthy, end quote. Good Lord. I, I mean, it, here's 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 the thing, all right? And Eric, I want to start with you this, but my first thing is, look, you don't want to get, you don't want to, you don't want to, uh, your opponent, whoever it is, UCF, Siena, Monmouth, I don't care, South Carolina, you don't want them to spike the football on you? Don't get beat three straight in your own backyard. How about that? I yeah, mean. That's pretty accurate. I mean, there's. That's pretty accurate. The reason Eric Backage is there because Clemson hasn't been doing much winning in baseball recently. So he's there to try to build a program. And, yeah, UCF swept them. I mean, I guess they got some people got mad because they, what, ra- raced through the rock, which I would do if I was at Clemson. That's a cool thing. Uh, you know, it's the same school that runs, you know, the fans storm the field after a win over, you know, everybody, including Furman. <laughs> Furman, right. So they, settle down. It's base sports. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah, so what, is baseball a little chappy? Yeah, they, well, there's always some chatter going on. There's chatter in football. There's chatter in basketball. 
How about you know how you avoid that? You win a game. Don't get swept at home. Yeah, don't get swept at home. And and this is this is what I was talking about earlier. This just plays into the brand of UCF so perfectly because we're punching up and we go into their place and beat them. And then Clemson comes back and they're like, oh, well, they were a little mouthy, you know, and we're running down the hill and Howard's Rock and all that. And how dare this program come into our house and treat our our established program like this. And it's like, you know what? Take a hike. You know, I, I just love when we get to be the villain. What, what were you saying earlier, Kyle? Cry harder. Cry harder. And, and Drew, Drew was right out of the way. He was like, cry hard, cry harder, cry harder with a vengeance. <laughs> but come on, this is UCF is the heel. They're D-Generation X, and they have two words for Clemson, and I'm sure you know what they are. Yeah, yeah. What, cry I, harder? I, <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, isn't this, but isn't this kind of been the thing, and, and, and I know this is the ba- baseball section, but you Dukes of the Diamond need to understand this was Danny White. This goes back to him on the uh, on the field after that the the win against um, Auburn. You know, UCF national champs, and that moment on, it's kind of like it, the way I put it on the Mark Moses show the other day when I was talking to him as a guest was this is the same to me. I get that same feel with UCF's group as when LeBron took his talents to South Beach and became the villain figure in the NBA. This is where UCF is at, and and they're trying to climb up. Now, granted, they never said not one, not two, not three. They don't have that going for them. But now that they're in the Power Five, and I know it matters, technically speaking, in no other uh, sport than football, but PR-wise, that's a big deal. And and I feel like this is that, that villain role that you're looking for. This is that villain role that has Jeff finding that Kylo Ren meme or gift saying, more! Yeah. This is where they're at. <laughs> more. That's what I want. I want to talk about the, uh, the the baseball in particular, Bryson Turner, because this was an impressive offensive performance. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and by the way, we should mention Andrew Brait won a conference player of the week for his performance um, in this game, but you know, two double digit, uh, two 10 plus run um, games here uh, on the road against uh, an ACC opponent. This is exactly what you need, you know, coming off that, that midweek loss to FAU. This is what, you, this is exactly how you want to recover from that. Oh, oh yes. The UCF offense ended up just succeeding when it mattered the most. You, of course you have game one with that one inning shootout after the rain, Nick Romano with the RBI single, Bray taking one for the team there. But the, I think the biggest two instances of this are in games two and three, where they were at one point during the game, both teams were tied six to six. And then UCF takes advantage of Clemson miscues, by the way, which is why I think they were, they were a little bit salty after the game because so they got no one to blame for it but themselves exactly no exactly they don't and that's why (laughs) you messed up deal with it right so basically walks basically ucf took advantage of those things and ended up building up the run the the run the leads 
that they ended up getting. Tom Jostin went and got three home runs over the course of the whole series breaking out there in the power. Then, of course, Ben McCabe hits his 35th homer of his career, which ties him for the sixth most in program history. We're going to be watching that this season. And then you also have Ben Vespi on the mound getting his first action of the year, getting his pitching two innings in game three and getting the win. So a little, little bit of action there. John Rice Plumley getting getting some action as well. Overall, like this is how you want to rebound. Getting some action. Well, yeah, you're getting just, some action. You're stealing home runs. Getting some action. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Bryce. He's, he's showing up on he's showing up on Sports Center. He's stealing home runs. He's hitting home runs himself. What is happening out here? This guy, you know, the the the, the best case scenario right for right now for John Rice Plumley, right, Eric? Listen, a guy hit over three hundred. Hit a home run, play good glove. You know, we had Greg on the show. He's called compared him to Jeffrey Pena, which, you know, because everybody was talking about this whole football baseball split. I don't know what kind of baseball player he was. When he compared him to Jeffrey Pena, I'm like, whoa. And he's really a good player. Uh, you know, yes, he's going to strike out a few. Guess what? Every baseball player now strikes out a million times. That's mm. just baseball in today's landscape. All right. Um, but he's a very good baseball player. Jeff, you said it before, uh, in that preview show. You said he could help win a couple of games for this team. Well, guess well. I think you were thinking about his legs. I right. You were thinking about his bat, which he did on in the second game of that Clemson series. He really right. helped them win that game with his bat. And I know that some football fans aren't going to like this comment, but there is no reason John Rice Plumlee should be at the spring game at all. <laughs> his priority should be baseball right now because he can help make this team make the tournament. Uh, that's the thing. This is the thing. This Clemson series. I don't know who know, who knows how good Clemson is. The fact they're whining about this suggests to me maybe they're not that good. Um, but what I hope this is, I hope this is kind of like the Auburn series in 2020 when UCF swept Auburn and got to the top, eventually got to the top 20 and looked like was going to have a great year until the world ended, uh, shut down. Uh, I hope that's the momentum, and I think that's part of the the charm of the personality for them. I don't think they're trying to be. I think there's a, there's a confidence they have to have and they're bring to the road to have success for this team to try to get back to where it is. And, and it worked for them this week. And they're obviously, my guess is they were told, if you sweep this team, we're going to run uh, the rock. And that's motivation. And they did that. So I have no issues at all with what baseball did. Hopefully this is the beginning of a positive uh, season here, a uh, confidence booster. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love – when we are in this position, but now, of course, you got to. By the way, JRP's stats. I think I should pop the. I should pop these up just to mention. Uh, so far in the season, three eighteen OPS of eight sixty two in six games, seven to twenty two at the plate. Uh, one home, one home run, four RBI, uh, seven uh, or six runs scored, um, and he is and he's got a four oh seven on base percentage. Walked three times, struck out nine. So. Um, you know he's, I I I was going by kind of the whole you know, don't expect like you know, don't expect too much because like how how much are we, of him are we going to see? We didn't really know. So far, I really like what you see. He succeeded expectations. So, uh, go ahead, Bryson. He, you know what I think that it was genius because we were I know we were talking about this in the season is you know how, oh you know the outfield's so crowded how is JRP going to play into it. Well, I think Greg Love well. was a genius lineup decision, or Ted Tom, whoever made the decision, 
to in to instead put Lex Bodeker at DH so that way you can have all three Brady Shannon Corey Robinson and John Rice Plumley in the outfield and I honestly I think that's benefited this lineup immensely I mean between between that having Drew Ferro at shortstop who had a great weekend himself by the way I, I think this offense like is getting off to a much better start to the season than they had last season. It took a little while last season right. for the offense to really get going. So the fact that they're starting as well as they did this season, by the way, they currently lead the American with 18 home runs so far. Hmm. It's like sneaking some time over to the batting cages in football seasons paying off. I, I, well, yeah, you're not kidding. Um, but now the next bit, though, is you got Georgia Southern uh coming in and uh for a three-game set over the weekend and uh as i'm looking through uh what they've done so far this year they took two out of three from west virginia uh lost the tight one to georgia tech uh one two out of three against etsu they got uh or or they got mercer tonight um before they come down here to ucf but uh don't sleep on or or, don't sleep on georgia by the way ucf is at bethune cookman by the way at jackie robinson ballpark Tonight, we're recording this Tuesday, so can't forget about that. But I want to look forward to that. I, I, I do, you know, take care of business against Bethune like you're supposed to. Look at Georgia Southern. Eric, um, what are we thinking from this particular weekend? I mean, because this is one of those, this is one of those opponents that's like, you, you probably think initially, ah, Georgia Southern, they're pretty good. Well, look, Georgia Southern was a national seed last year. They hosted a regional. They were a top 16 seed. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that was the highlight of UCF season last year is when they went up there and won two out of three. I mean, I said this uh, before. I think this is one of Greg's toughest uh, non-conference schedules. This is a, a resume series. It's a big series. Yeah. and it's They went 41-20 and 20 last year, Georgia Southern. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they've got talented players. I mean, Noah Ledford is one of the best players in the country. It's probably going to be the Sun Belt player of the year. They're good. So it's another challenging weekend. It's a question of, you know, can they build on the momentum from the Clemson game? You know, on the pitching, does the pitching get a little better? You know, Cam Lighter, can he go deeper into the games? Uh, what do we see from the staff as a whole? And can they slow down an offense like Georgia Southern? I don't know. Can the offense continue? We'll see. It's just building that momentum from the Clemson series. And I'm intrigued to see how this team comes back home. And, and that's the thing. We've seen glimpses over the last couple of years, and then either an injury happens or a tough series happens. They just got to build on the Clemson series, and you know, but it's yeah. not going to be easy. Georgia Southern's really good. Yeah, they were top ten RPI last year. Yeah, toward the end of the year. I mean, that was so. All right, uh, hey, got to handle that. Got to handle Bethune. Got to handle Bethune on Tuesday at Jackie Robinson, and then handle Georgia Southern. Last word to you, Bryson. Speaking of Bethune, uh, that game's going to be a particularly special one for Nick Romano because that will be his first time back at Jackie Robinson Ballpark since he tore his ACL there last year. Yeah. So that that so and already he's off to another good start this year, of, co- of course, after the stuff he's been going through. So that'll be a little storyline for the t- Tuesday night's game. All right. So we'll keep that in mind uh, as well. Real quick, Eric Lopez, I want to uh, shift gears over to softball. and We'll come up with basketball uh, after the break. But uh, it's off to uh, California for the Judy Garman Classic. Another one of these really tough uh you know, not uh, at a conference tournament. This one, all the way out west. You got Fullerton, Loyola, UCLA, Fresno, Michigan. Also, another another date with the uh, Wolverines here for UCF right. uh, in this tournament. Give us the lowdown on this thing. 
It's going to turn into a rivalry. I believe that will be the, uh, what, fourth meeting between UCF and Michigan since last May in the regionals there. Uh, yeah, it's a challenging schedule. Yola Marymount is the West Coast Conference champs. They're an NCAA tournament team. UCLA is the number two team in the country. They're going to be upset after getting trounced by Oklahoma this past weekend. It's a challenge for this young pitching staff that continues to be a work in progress. Uh, they, you know, they've been up and down. They've shown some promise, but they've been inconsistent, and we've seen that in the results last week. They went four and three on a busy week. Uh, up and down would be the word, and work in progress. Their pitching staff right now is one and a half. Whip. That's not good. Mm. Uh, I believe they have 63 walks and 113 innings pitch. That's got to change uh, if they want to be successful and accomplish their goals. Uh, Sarah Willis was tremendous as a closer this past weekend. I think they found something there. The question is, can she be a, a starter? Can they get consistent starting pitching? That remains to be seen. I know this. They can score runs, and they can hit the ball out of the park. They are in the top 10 in the country in home runs, which if you would have told me 16 years ago, we'd be saying UCF softball being the top 10 in home runs. I said, you're crazy. Great. So I don't – this is a weird UCF team. We're used to seeing great pitching and sort of scratch out some runs offensively. Right now, we're the complete opposite. Uh, it's very bizarre. So it's, again, uh, it's going to come down to does the pitching grow up? Does it develop fast enough? There's still time, but it is unique. Uh, and I understand everybody's been blowing me up during games, which, by the <laughs> way, folks, I don't check social media when I'm on the air. So just, <laughs> yeah, you're actually, he actually does it the right way, right? Yeah, he's not. <laughs> like, I can't. Like, everybody, like, it's funny. He's I busy. <laughs> I am busy. I call like 10 games this week. I, I check my toe. I was like, hey, what's going on here in this first inning? I'm like, dude, I'm on the air. Just watch the game and find out for yourself. Like, you know, but there's hey. been a lot of, you know, questions asking me about uh, the pitching. And I understand the standards are super high at this school when it comes to pitching. And so it's very fair questions. Just don't ask me during the game. That's all I ask. Um, but I will. I, Mike, you, know, you can ask during the game. It's just he's not going to reply to you until after. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like, ignoring you. I'm not being a jerk. I'm not dodging you. I just, I'm literally busy. I do address some of these. This will come out on the bannerette. I'll have an article out. People have been asking, where's your softball article? I'm like, hey, man, I'm busy. I, I literally passed out and slept the whole day Monday, and then I wrote this Johnny Dawkins column. So I got around to the softball. But, again, the pitching staff's got to, you know, figure out what roles they have, who steps up into the role. We'll see what happens. What's the game uh, out of these five that you're going to be looking, you know, looking the most closely at? Cause they got th on Thursday, they have Fresno and Michigan Friday, UCLA and LMU, and then Saturday Fullerton. So well, what's, I mean, that... what's the time? What's the one that you're like, I, this is, this is, if I had to watch one, which is, what's it going to be? Well, I think the majority are going to watch UCLA because of who they are, but I'm going to watch Fullerton and Loyola Marymount because those are two teams. Fullerton just knocked off Florida at Mary Nutter this past week. I mean, this schedule, this schedule is like Brutal. a group of death schedule. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, it's just quality teams that are getting votes or top 25. So I know everybody's like looking at the record nine and eight. I'm telling you, this schedule, I'm not totally shocked about the record because this schedule is rough. <laughs> I mean, you said you said last week, man, watch out for Louisiana, and yeah, they were great. Really good. There's a reason I picked the Cajuns to get to Oklahoma City. They're really talented. Louisville's probably going to be an NCAA tournament team. You know, the one bugaboo loss is Stetson. Uh, you know, again, but again, control issues. Three walks in the bottom of the seventh, an error mm -hmm. leads to three Stetson runs into win, and that's the thing that's frustrating uh, about this team right now. But it's young. It's a young group. 
You know this, Jeff, is a parent. Kyle, you're a parent. Drew, you're a parent. Bryson, well, you're you're a kid. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's maturity. Well, it's it's the kids got to grow up on their own, right? You wish they could be mature right off the bat and all that, but it's going to take time. And there's some growing pains with the pitching staff. Uh, I yeah. wish it was quicker, but it's you got to let it go on its pace. I, I go into dive into that on the article there, but that's going to be the key. I'm going to be curious how this pitching staff handles. The West Coast umpires, which are by are notorious for being like, well, really bad. We knew the we knew there was going to be an if officiating or umpiring dig at some there point in this show. And I'm surprised you just waited this long. Um, yeah, we're 20 minutes in. I, I would have right. lost. I totally had the under on that. Yeah. Uh, Shout out Savannah Adams, by the way, player of the week. We mentioned Brave. How about that? Baseball, softball, getting player of yeah. the week. Savannah Adams, four home runs this week. Uh, it's really breaking out. Right now, she was the one that hit the big pinch hit home run against Houston last year. So she's been a nice uh, revelation there in their middle of their lineup. Like I said, could, this offense is really good. We just need the pitching to get better, which is a could weird use a few more of those this weekend. By the way, I don't see any TV for these games. These games being televised? No, anymore? they're not. Unfortunately, they are what? on Flow Softball, which is a garbage streaming pr- uh, service. Do not pay for that. It's a despicable <laughs> Shots fired. Officiating and streaming services in one go. Tune into In the Circle uh, softball podcast this week. We go into that in depth about how bad flow softball is for the sport of softball. Thank you. Ooh, well, wow. you know, listen, this might be softball, but listen, Elo's still doing plenty of dunking as if it was a full-on basketball contest. Speaking <laughs> of which, excellent Whoa. segue. We're going to take a quick break when we return. That's why he's the student of the game, kids. Uh, <laughs> men's basketball wiping out. To, we Guys, we won at Tulsa. We get to talk about that. Last couple games of the regular season for the men's basketball team. What's at stake? And Eric Lopez with a big column today about Johnny Dawkins. Uh, That and women's basketball when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We back. It's Jeff and Eric and Kyle and Drew. Uh, We're talking a little basketball here. UCF uh, men's basketball got off the schneid. 16 and 12 right now, 7 and 9 in the conference. Um, but oh my God, we won at Tulsa. <laughs> um, after the disappointing game at home Wednesday night against South Florida, the 82 75 loss, where, man, that was, I, 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 I got to say that, you know, as, speaking as a fan, that was, that was one of the toughest losses to take um, that I've seen on that floor in a long time. Um, you know, but give them credit. Came right back on Sunday, and you're thinking, and I know we're all thinking like, oh gosh, we got to follow this up by going to Tulsa, house of horrors for every sport seemingly, and they get the win by 19 points. Uh, the star of the game once again, uh, Taylor Hendricks, Pro- probably Eric. What would you say his best game yet overall? 25 points, eight rebounds, 10 of 16 from the field. Uh, well- Definitely his most aggressive game. Yeah, and definitely his obviously career high. 25 points was dominant. Yeah. It was all a factor all over the, both sides of the court. Yeah. 12 points each for Ithiel Horton and CJ Kelly. Uh, and they held, uh, t- UCF was up 18 at the half, held Tulsa to 14 points uh, in the first half and a and just six of 22 from the field um, in that first half as well. And so the situation right now for UCF looks like this they are at Temple on Thursday. Uh, March the 2nd uh, at 7 p.m. ESPNU for that game. That won't be easy playing at Temple. It rarely is. Um, and then uh, for and then senior night, Sunday, March the 5th, against ECU at home. 
and then it's off to Fort Worth uh, and Dickey's Arena for the AAC Championship. And Eric, you dropped a big old column on the uh, site today uh, where you come to the defense of uh, of Johnny Dawkins, and you know, and I think there've been you know, it's no secret right now that there have been a lot of fans who've been critical. Uh, of Johnny and and the team in general during this you know really really rough stretch that started really with uh, the injury to Michael Durr, and you make a couple of really key points about you know hey UCF right now is actually and has been overachieving with Johnny. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty understatement. Like I kind of you know I was driving back from Delane, which my own heartbreaking loss, a good softball there. And I was talking to Kyle, who's covering the USF game, and uh, obviously Bryson, and talking to Drew, and you know, and all the. You know, I was trying to get feedback. I was trying to get a sense because obviously I didn't watch the South Florida game live, and it was you know it was a tough loss, no question, tough loss. They beat Tulsa Sunday, which was good. They were up fifty to nineteen at one point. So I decided to write the article, and, I'm th- and then I, I noticed, like, wait a minute, they just clinched a winning season for the sixth time in seven seasons in the Dawkins era. And the one season they didn't have a winning season was that COVID year where there's a bunch of cancellations and they lost a home game to Memphis and they had to play Memphis twice at Memphis and they went 11 and 12 or just don't throw that a year out. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, everybody's flipping out. I remember, and I could be wrong guys. We all were on the show back in October. Did anybody's ever say, Hey, UCF should be an NCAA tournament team. There you go. No, no, hey, oh, we were okay. picked sixth. In the conference, in the preseason poll. Pick six. There was no expectations. I think everybody was under the pressure. Hey, we have all these new faces. I don't know what you know what to expect from this team. I think a lot of people thought that was a little high, too. Don't you? Right. right. I mean, no. <laughs> then you get to opening night. You find out there's no C.J. Walker. There's no Darius Johnson. Literally, it's a, a team you don't even recognize opening night. Like, what is going on here? They find a way to kind of overcome that after that tough loss in overtime. Now you beat Florida State. Now, if I asked, if I told you back in October, you beat Florida State and Ole Miss, you're like, yeah, right. Well, they did. Now it turns out this this is what I'm going to get to. This team is and Oklahoma State too, by the way. I was going to mention beat Oklahoma State. They have a good non-conference. C.J. Walker misses the season. Only plays four games. This is a guy that was going to be a. Like your best big guy, with all due respect, we didn't know what Michael Durr was going to be, but C.J. Walker was your best big coming back. You lose him for four games. Darius Johnson's been in and out of the lineup. They've had all these injuries. They put themselves in a position in January where we're actually discussing NCAA tournament, and I caution everybody. Whoa, it's a little early. I enjoy talking about it because I like projections. Me and Drew do bold projections for crying out loud in November because we enjoy it. It's a good humorous exercise. Uh, but the part, and I feel like what's happened since Drew brought up a wrestling term in the first segment, I'll bring this up. I think we worked ourselves from a work to a shoot. We worked ourselves into a shoot. We started hyping it up now to the point where now we're disappointed that we're not a postseason team. We're not an NCAA team when there's worse, no expectations. Nobody had any idea how good this team was. There was no, it's not like they grabbed a bunch of blue chippers on this roster. I actually think he's done a Dawkins has done a good job considering all the injuries and we're being critical of him, which maybe is a pos- is a, it says a good thing about him because he's had success here to the point where people think this. But I think we've gotten way too far, and, and we do this with basketball. We judge this like if it's football, and it's not. And that was my whole point in the column is this is college football is not college basketball. They're two t- 
different things. There's 352 college basketball programs that play Division One. Jeff knows this because he spent time in the Northeast. There's a lot of schools that don't give a bleep about football, that don't have football in the FBS level, that care about college basketball, that invest in college basketball. We are a football school. That doesn't mean you can't be successful in basketball, but it's a lot harder. And I just, to me, I just drives me nuts that we're driving, that people don't understand. It's people that don't know any of the inner doings in basketball. They, they just don't get it. It just drives me nuts. So I just decided to write my two cents on it and bring up, this is not just an issue that's been going on since Coach Dawkins. This has been going on since we were students. We've all experienced it going back to, I mean, how many of us here, not Bryson, not Bryson uh, as we've established, he's very young. Bryson but all of us has gone to a UCF. Ba- yeah, that's true. <laughs> how, all of us have been to a UCF basketball game at the old arena, which is now the venue, when we were excited when we drew 1,000 people. Am I right? Yeah. It yeah. was the garage. I was like yeah, that was like 17, 18 years ago. We were thrilled uh, when like there were there was a decent amount of fans in the second level. Of the old arena, right? And, and, and I and listen, I, I get a lot of fans who, who you know who say, yeah, but hey, we've moved on from that now. We and there's that word should be, you know, X Y Z. And I, and I think one of the things that 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 you brought up in the column is you know uh, the chase for resources. So we did a little research on this. I helped you out with it. Um, the, the when you look at what UCF has done, compare you know in terms of its winning percentage compared to its budget, UCF's budget, men's basketball budget. This is according to Three Man Weave, um, who pulled this data. Their men's basketball budget is third from uh, was uh, is third from the bottom in the American. All right, uh, eclipsing only the likes of South Florida and ECU. Okay. And by the way, now UCF has done a very good job of maintaining its budget post-COVID. We did a little comparison, you know, thanks to that data from before COVID, April 2020, all around COVID, to post-COVID. Everyone's kind of taken a haircut in across the board, except for, strangely enough, Wichita State, who really poured a lot of money. Even Houston lost money. Cincinnati saw their men's basketball budget nearly cut in half. Uh, and they've taken a haircut across everything. They cut men's soccer. They lost Luke Fickle. They lost Mick Cronin to UCLA. Uh, they had to throw throw more money than I think they wanted to at West at West Miller to come in there. But um, you know they, they're really struggling. But UCF has managed to keep their budget actually relatively stable over this two year period. But the problem is it's still low. And then we bring in the Big Twelve budget comparison, guys. UCF right now. Uh, th- this, according to again, according to Three Man Weave, budget of about four point two seven million dollars for men's basketball. That is dead last in the Big Twelve when you look at the incoming, when you look, including all the incoming teams, and including Texas and Oklahoma. Obviously, and it's um, not close. It's and it's not right. It is not close. It is less than twenty five percent of what Texas is making is putting out in men's hoops. Uh, and if we put Texas and Oklahoma aside, Kansas has the highest budget in the Big 12, $14 million. $14 million a year. Yes, I get it. It's Kansas, all right? TCU's at $11 million. Baylor's at $10 million. Texas Tech is at $8 million. That's your top four of the remaining of the remaining schools. 
And Kelvin Sampson talked about this, right, Eric? Because Houston took a bit took a bit of a hit, and he's like, "Hey, we got to catch up." And he, he could speak for everybody who's coming into the Big Twelve, right? Yeah, if he says they're behind the Big Twelve, I mean, good lord! I mean, they're at Houston, and they're still behind. Now he has the benefit. What he doesn't mention is he's got a heavy booster there that's helped them out behind the scenes with the facilities and the arena. But they are behind, and we are behind, and it's nobody's fault. I'm not calling anybody out. As I mentioned in the article, Danny White was a basketball guy, played at Notre Dame, comes from a basketball family background. He brought in Johnny Dawkins. He couldn't fix this. There are internal stuff. It's nobody's fault. I'm not saying that it, that, it, that anybody's doing anything wrong. It's just the challenges that it is that every UCF coach has had. <laughs> and the future UCF coaches will also have yeah. moving forward. Uh, and I don't think the Big 12 is an automatic fix with the money coming in. Does it help? Sure. But they are still logistical stuff. And I, I just think we've gotten out of control. I think it's way way uh, out of control with the, some of the people's rationale. I just don't think pe- especially people don't follow college basketball. I'm sorry. I've seen the numbers. This is an NBA market. People care more about the magic, even when they stink, than they do college basketball. Uh, people obviously care more about football, rightfully, and I get that. That's understandable. But, Kyle, to me, this is just, it's just gotten out of control here with like the expectations. This is not a blue blood. This is not a team that was supposed to be a top 25 team. It's a team that's had a ton of injuries and it's had some bad luck. Think about the buzzer beater against Missouri. One of the luckiest shots ever in sunrise. All the overtime games, what five overtime games, which is the most in school history in one season. Think about, think about the turnover, the turnover late at Memphis, uh, there, uh, this team could have eased. I think if this team was healthy, if this team had CJ Walker, and had Darius Johnson healthy for the whole year, and Michael Durr, who has surprised me and how be- much better he has. I didn't, I didn't know how he would fit. He's been a better fit than I thought. This team may be a 20-plus win team, in the probably in the NCAAs if they were healthy, but they weren't. Yeah, no, I, I, all of the above a great point, but I'll see that and raise you this. Listen, all you Michael, uh, or not Michael Durr, sorry, uh, are you Johnny Dawkins, uh, fire Johnny Dawkins folks out here? I got bad news for you. The only way Dawkins with all the fiscal evidence provided, not just on this pod in the past, but uh, very eloquently put by uh, uh, Elo's article and the the smidgen of data sprinkled in by uh, Jeff, make it clear, the only way the post-Johnny Dawkins era starts, for now, is if Johnny leaves. Because you're not getting anyone any better at the price that UCF is willing to afford. And that's the hard truth all the Johnny Dawkins haters don't account for. And this isn't football or basketball bias or any of that or any points of view, though. Everything you say is absolutely correct, Elo. This is all 100% economics, okay? Follow the money. The money is undefeated, maybe second only to father time as well. I get all of that. And really, it's, it's the best thing to explain. Now, there's a lot, and we've talked about this too, there's a lot more maybe that the program can do that's lower hanging fruit, but I don't run that budget, you know, and and the big 12 money isn't coming overnight. I think you kind of alluded to that too, Elo. So for my money, oh, and by the way, for all the people who claim that Johnny Dawkins can't recruit, I I think this year alone is evidence beyond a reasonable, even take Taylor Hendricks out of it because you know, he's going to be gone next year anyway. Y'all looking forward 
to some of the cats he's already got on the roster. I know not everybody will come back necessarily, obviously. I, I believe C.J. Kelly, for example, is a guy who's playing his last year, et cetera. But <laughs> there's more of a nucleus with this group than there was last year, and everyone keeps forgetting there were two essential elements that left two years ago, right? Darius Perry, Darren Green, um, both both left. Now, I know Drew especially will, will, will be, uh, how you say, happy to see Perry walk just because we were able to improve at that position. But got, another thing I have to say, too, about Johnny Dawkins recruiting, the two times this year he's played transfers that came back, they were both among the top two scorers for the team they faced. Darren Green, of course, with FSU, and Jameel Reynolds, a backup center who put up 16, uh, being a top guy with another program. But he was a backup here. But please tell me more about how Dawkins can't recruit. I, I don't get that either, frankly. I think I think one of the the, the the thing that you touched on in the column article that I think is really kind of struck me is, you know, the one thing that you're getting with Coach Dawkins is a guy who already knows how power conference college basketball works. He has elevated UCF's national profile, not just through the scheduling, but you know, you touched upon it. There, there are movers and shakers in the college basketball world who are paying attention to UCF because Johnny is there. And when you couple that with the fact that um, this is a this is a program that can attract talent and has a coach who can who does attract talent in Johnny. So why throw it out and start over now? Right? Right. Well, especially with a guy, it could get worse. Like, and right. I mean, it's funny, the other comment I see with all Dawkins wasn't successful at Stanford. I'm like, he wasn't? He got him to a sweet 16, got him to an NIT Final Four. He won 57% of his games at Stanford. Let's see, how's Stanford been doing since he left and that departure? Oh, one postseason, one postseason appearance since then, that was in the NIT. Right, and they're on the mix of having a fourth non-winning season right now. They're probably that job might open actually again this season. Yeah, it's Jared has has been their coach for seven years. There, he has yeah. one postseason appearance there. And and by the way, I don't think he had a great resources there at Stanford either, as we have learned from the Pac-12 and their financial issues. It's not like Stanford's a hotbed <laughs> for financial supporting, uh, but they probably have more than UCF. So, um, I just to me, I, I just think it's wrong. Again, I'm not saying that there isn't rights to be criticism. The South Florida loss is very disappointing, especially if it ends up keeping this team out of postseason. I get it. But that's, you know, you can nitpick everything. And I'm the guy that says, hey, it's okay to be critical of teams with expectations of football and softball right now. Trust me, I'm listening to everybody in softball right now. Uh, volleyball, soccer, I get it. The difference is there is there's no justification for men's basketball. We were the worst college basketball program in the 80s. We have made one at large, one at large tournament bid. The coaches, Johnny Dawkins, was the one that did that. We were a tipping away from a Sweet 16. We made the NIT Final Four. We've actually done some good things here that we've not done before, and we're getting talented players. We got talented players in the mix of being recruiting. Give the guy a chance. I think he's earned the right to coach in the Big 12, in my opinion. I think he's done a lot considering how little he has to work with. I've said this. People kind of disagree with me on this. I think the men's basketball coach at UCF is the hardest job on campus of all the coaches because you don't have the backing that football does. Yes, football stuff. I don't want to make it sound like the other coaches don't have hard jobs. They're all hard. But men's basketball, I think it's multiplied because you're at the shadow of football. It's always football first. 
and you're in the shadow of in an indoor sport and you're in a market that isn't it doesn't embrace college basketball quite frankly it's a bandwagon town uh, the only thing, the, the only way I'd correct you, Elo, is coming in and having to do what Johnny Dawkins did after the program you're in had an iconic year, enter Satya Messer. But I say all that to say this, my friend. Um, the one thing we're not talking enough about either with Dawkins, as you see with a lot of prominent uh, basketball coaches of, of, of success, it feels like, is no scandals, no issues. Nothing extra to worry about off mm-hmm. the court as well. And, 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 and that's in particular basketball, yeah, that's uh, it shouldn't be something we, we point out as, hey, the, everybody should do it. That's not life. Well, look at what's going yeah. on at Alabama and the disgrace that's going on right there right now. For example. I mean, th- th- I mean, some people might actually not care about that, but to me that's disgraceful. And that's college basketball in a nutshell, though, now. Uh, you got There's a lot of programs that are, that win because they go beyond over the line. UCF has does not want to do that. That derailed Donnie Jones that whole era with that the, the, the that really set the program back a lot. And I don't think yeah. people really understand how much those violations set the program back, which is what Dawkins inherited was picked last in his first year and got him to an NIT final four. He helped Stanford win a couple of NITs, as Nick reminded me there. The guy can coach. Is he perfect? No. Is there things that could get better? Yes. But I I just I think people are delusional. Like I keep seeing all these big names. Like, oh, let's bring in Chris Beard. Really? You want to? You want that PR? You want the PR of a guy that just allegedly uh, strangled his wife or his fiance? Excuse me. Allegedly? Really? Allegedly. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You want Rick Pitino? Rick Pitino wouldn't touch this job. Rick Pitino can end up being at St. John's, which is a better job. Think about that. St. John's is a better job than us. That is. That's not a knock on UCF. That's just the reality of college basketball that fans do not understand. You're not going to get a big name. Doesn't mean you can't get a good coach, but it's a harder job. It's not as an attractive a job as some fans think. This is not football. And and that's the only thing I I get annoyed with. Stop comparing this to football. Stop. Because, and I'm here's the example. The drove, they really made me ticked off was when we lost to Missouri. I watched that game. It was, and they lose on the bank on a buzzer beater fluke shot. I was livid. That was a brutal loss. Thirty minutes later, it com- it comes out that Travis Williams is going to Arkansas. Everybody flipped out about that more than the basketball game. I'm sorry, <laughs> you're not a basketball school if you care more about your stupid defensive coordinator leaving for Arkansas. Sorry, you don't have it. You got no qualifications, no credibility to be involved in this conversation. If you upset <clears throat> about Travis Williams leaving for Arkansas, sorry. Kyle, give this man a hug. I, I, I listen. I almost I'm, I'm ready to drop the Kylo Ren gif again. More. I was going to make that joke. Your first contender for of the year, right there. It's, it's a long. It's a long is, are, are you saying? Are you saying that we need a new Banneretta word here? Rant of the year. Okay. I mean, um, just for Eric, because I know how much you love to do that. I didn't. I don't think I caught that whole thing. Are you right. saying we're not a basketball school? Oh, stop it. Bro. All right, all right. Let, but, all right, but let me go back for a second. Listen, two regular season games left. You win them both, you're at 18 and 12. You're two wins away from uh, from a 20-win season. What's the seeding situation for the uh, AAC tournament right now, uh, Eric? What's it look like? If they win the next two games, they got a chance to be a top six seed, maybe even higher, five seed, something like that. And, and with a win in the conference tournament, you get to 19 wins. That might be good enough to sneak into the NIT. That might be good enough. The Temple game's the key here. Temple's, you know, Temple's tough at home. You know, mm-hmm. they've underachieved. They're a, they're an actual basketball school. Um, 
They're eight and seven at home. They're eight and seven at home this year. Nine and seven in the conference. Fifteen and fourteen overall. They are right. the definition of middling. By the way, gentlemen, right. uh, they have yet to face Temple with Michael Durr. I think that's worth mentioning. Right, Durr missed the first meeting, so that should help them in this match. But it's a tough and, match. And, and guess who was good in the last meeting? It was Jamil Reynolds. Jamil Reynolds. There yeah. you go. Um, so that's going to be a tough game. Uh, but, you know, top six, if they lose, if they split these two games, they're probably going to be in that 7-8 spot. Who knows? Uh, you're just hoping, you know, that's what stinks about the USF losses is I think if you avoid that, if you split that, you're probably in a better position from an NIT standpoint, which would, which would be a success for this team. Um, but the thing that they're going to need is they need more of what we saw from Taylor Hendricks on Sunday. Everybody loves Taylor Hendricks. He's had a great year. He should be freshman of the year in the American. It's probably going to come down to him and Walker from Houston. The one thing he's got to, you know, and we saw this on Sunday is sometimes he's too passive. And that's not his fault. He's a freshman. That happens. He was aggressive on Sunday. If he can be aggressive, this team can make some noise come the conference tournament. Uh, that's why I personally think he needs another year. Um, but, you know, I could say that about a lot of basketball guys. Don't even get me started on that. I think <laughs> a lot of these players get terrible advice in basketball. I think they should follow the football model personally, but that's just me as far as <laughs> getting information. Cause I feel like more football players get better information than basketball players do, you know, cause I feel like everybody's always told, Hey, you're a first rounder. And then by the time you get to the draft, Hey, I didn't get drafted. What happened? Oh, because 70,000 guys declared. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, but I think he's real really quick, good. He's had a great year. He's, he's got to be aggressive, in my opinion. Real quick, add to to your point, Elo. Like you mentioned, the tournament seating and all that. By the same token, I don't think anybody in the American is going. Oh, goody, we get to play UCF. There's a little bit of funk on that, especially with their ability to come through in close games uh, when they have done so. Right. Not and Johnny awesome. and Johnny told you at the post game, USF is like they're trying to. You know, they're getting these guys back from injury. They're trying to find that nucleus that chemistry it's just hard when you have guys in and out of the lineup can they get this in time for the conference tournament we'll see this week could help in that that's the key uh yeah. we'll see if it happens at temple thursday 7 p.m espnu in philly uh home for ecu senior night on sunday we'll be keeping an eye on who exactly decides to walk for senior night um as well that that now becomes it's funny in the age of the of the portal and post-covid with the extra year, that now becomes a source of, you know, a little bit of pregame drama, right? Like, who walks on senior day? And, um, you know, I'm here to hoping it's as few guys as possible. <laughs> um, I want to go over to the uh, to women's basketball. We got to give uh, a big old shout out to UCF Women's Hoops. Um, got back to 513 and 13 uh, with two consecutive victories uh, last Tuesday against Temple in the Play for K game. Uh, in uh, in what was a tight game uh, going down to the going down to the wire, UCF figured out a way to win. That's what they needed to do. And then on Saturday against Cincinnati, went into uh, went in, went in there on senior night and uh, and took care of business uh, again. It took overtime, but UCF got the W. Uh, key players here: Destiny Thomas, six of thirteen in forty two minutes on the floor, uh, nine of fourteen from the line. A twenty-one, a twenty-twenty game for for Desto. Twenty-one points, twenty rebounds, ten offensive, ten defensive to go with four blocks and five steals. Just a, a um, I think Dick Vitale would call that a stat sheet stuffer game for Destiny Thomas and uh, and Kyle and Bryson. You guys were you guys were following that uh, very tightly. And what if this is it for Destiny Thomas? If what a way to go out on the home floor. 
And oh. if for, for a player who stuck around, you know, is at least starting the rebuild. Wow. It's it's funny you mentioned that. I actually talked to her after the game about about that very concept. But here's the thing: she had a chance to close it out in regulation and missed the free throws. That game in its entirety, the lady the ladies missed eleven total free throws. This is what made it close game at all, even in the first place, to give Cincinnati an opportunity to come back. Credit to Cincinnati; they took advantage most definitely. But I had asked her after she sunk four straight. Uh, opening overtime after Rachel Ranky hit the three, I says to her, did any part of you go, you know, we could have been done already. And she brings up the teammates in the huddle saying the very thing, you know, the other seniors that had walked as well, they, they brought up that very same point. Wow. What a way to go out. She goes, you know, I know a better way. How about doing it in regulation? <laughs> so, and of course, that moment, uh, if you want to see her responding to that question, you'll find that on the black and gold banner at Twitter feed, by the way. Or uh, the Instagram as well. But, um, yeah, no, they, they said the very same thing that you did there, too. And, hey, listen, credit to uh, Maya Burns as well. A very big element to UCF getting off the ground to allow Destiny to take it on her back to finish it out um, as they did. You know, the rebounding differential was crazy. She and Nate Hutton dominated the boards in crazy fashion, as they tend to do. And, listen... As much as we talk about the cupboard being bare for Johnny Dawkins, Satya Messer coming in and having a chance to finish with a winning record is in itself an accomplishment. You know, I think she would tell you the very same thing. I know she had alluded to um, that being something that would be a nice to have, but seeing this as a growing opportunity, that's what she said to me Tuesday after the Temple game. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot to... Obviously, listen, we know I'm a big Destiny Thomas homer on this show. I'm a, a, an apologist even to that point. I don't use that a lot, but for her, I definitely am. And to see her become not just a body that can grab boards and do putbacks, she's become an overall athlete as well, getting involved. Had four steals in the game in question as well, Jeff. Mm. So, um, yeah, if, if she decides to... Um, to go elsewhere because we can confirm she's planning on playing her last year of eligibility with the COVID year. Um, you know, if she goes somewhere else, of course, Godspeed, but it would be great to have her back and see her do battle with the Big 12. She's put SEC opponent centers on their back. I don't think she'd have trouble doing the same, and it would be interesting to see her be a keystone of this lineup next year. Yeah. All right, so let's turn our attention now to the women's basketball tournament, which starts on um, Monday March the 6th. So before our next show, um, they're going to be underway here. Now, it starts with uh, the, 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 now who gets the buys, right? The one, two, three, and four, and five teams get buys. So you have nine, eight, 10, seven, and 11, six on Monday. Right now, UCF is sitting in the 10 spot which means they would face the seven seed as I flip through the standings, and that would be one, two, three, four. That would be Tulsa, who they are playing in their final game, by the way. Right. Uh, at Tulsa. Now, this is a gettable game for UCF because Tulsa is six and nine in the conference, 16 and 12 overall. UCF right now at four and 10 in the conference. And it's, it's all, I get it. It's always hard to win at Tulsa, but there's a non zero chance of being able to get It's not like they're playing South Florida again or Memphis, you know, somebody up, up at the top. This is a gettable game. You get this game, all right, then you're at 5-10 and 10 in the conference. Um, and by the way, this is where I, I think that SMU cancellation kind of plays in here too, right, Kyle? Because right. they, you know, if you win that game, you go 5-10, and 10, 
but then it goes to win percentage. Um, you don't get, and they have, and and I'm I'm guessing they're not going to make that game up. So, because yeah. uh, I I haven't seen that confirmed one way or the other, but I haven't gotten word on it either. So, you know, as of right now, you could see a potential rematch between UCF and Tulsa. Right now, Tulsa's tied in the standings with Wichita State, um, but. You know, your journey begins there. Uh, and by the way, all those games will be on ESPN Plus, and we'll be following them on that Monday. But, you know, at the very least, looking at that, at, at, at where that would be, Kyle, in that cluster of teams, UCF of 4-10, Temple, Wichita State, Tulsa, who, you know, two lanes at 7-8, and eight, who would you rather UCF find a way to play in that first round to get that win under their belt? I, I would like to see that Temple rematch personally mm-hmm. in, in, in a selfish fashion because, you know, I like physical basketball anyway. That's why Destiny Thomas is so fun to watch. But that that would be a, a dogfight and one I think that uh, UCF can win, especially if they polish up their free throw shooting. I think the past two games definitely the third quarter in particular has, has been a struggle throughout the year. And missing free throws has been huge in the past two games in particular. Sure, they still won the games at the end of the day, but they didn't have to. You didn't have to have an overtime game, for example, with Cincinnati if free throws got hit. You know, so. But yeah, yeah I, I, I'm with you on that. I, th- I think that if you're uh, if you're Satyamis, <laughs> you're thinking either Wichita or Temple, um, because you know, remember they they beaten. Um, they beaten Wichita already once anyway, and but that was one of the teams that they only play once in the regular season, right. and that was in Kansas, right? Remember that game? So UCF won it by three. So it's going to be, I mean, either way, I mean, you figure out who you want to who you want to play, and you know from there, pick out your right matchup. I think that UCF does match up better with Temple personally. I think I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just a question of, well, who do you get in the second round? Um, if you're in that 9-8 game, that means you're playing South Florida in the next round. Uh, if you get to the, if you end up going into the 10-7 where UCF is um, right now, then you play the uh, number two seed who has um, yet to be determined. That would be either Memphis or ECU at this point. They're separated by one game. They're going to sort out two and three this weekend. So, uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that. We'll be keeping an eye on the seating. There's a lot of time. Again, and Kyle, you were talking about it in the internal chat this week. I mean, this tiebreaker situation is uh, is is really it's, something considering that, that SMU way- game that got postponed. All right, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk some track and field, indoor track and field. Um, UCF winning it again in their last go-around in the American the indoors. We'll get to the outdoors, and plus we'll catch you up on everything else. Stick around. I'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. We're back here on the show. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. Joining us now, Bryson and Nick Porcelli uh, joining us in here to uh, talk about uh, some of the latest goings on around the world of UCF sports. Um, And we got to start, Bryson Turner, with your UCF Indoor Track Championship once again. Uh, UCF wins the indoor track. It's their third indoor track and field championship in the American. Um... And, and I'm always, you know, I, I always think that this is huge because UCF doesn't have an indoor track facility. And they go in and win this one as a team. Give me the quick 
top three highlights. Top three highlights that we, what did we that what we know about this team as now they turn their attention, some of them to the NCAA's, but then to the outdoor season. Well, I would say the the first big thing is UCF won this turn uh, this meet. I think actually on Friday during the prelims because the, the way that team meets work like this, by the way, is that. The, is that each player or each athlete gets a point value depending on where they finish and if you're in the final of an event you get a point value and it's like stacker based on where you finish ucf got managed to get half of the 32 spots like final spots available across like a, a couple of i think four track events ucf took up half of those spots which means more points for them than the other team ucf basically the what the way i'm po- trying to put this is that ucf's sprint and hurdle program is so deep in this conference that it basically just completely outclassed the rest of the rest of the american and amongst obviously among those runners those those runners we have Renaya jones who was only a half a point away from being the from scoring the most points of an individual athlete in the entire in, in the in the entire meet so you have that Renai, of course, came away with came away with gold in the 60 meter hurdles. Colorado State transfer Janya Jasper gets the gold in the 60 in the 60 meter dash. Beyonce DeFreyes in the 200 meter dash gets a gold, gets a gold. I mean, just the sprint and hurdle program all over the place really just showed out this time. But you also got Jasmine Scott Kilgo and Ashira Collins getting getting two podium spots in the triple jump. All right. So uh, next up for track NCAA indoors are. Uh, March 10th and 11th, not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. We'll be keeping a close eye uh, on that going forward. Eric, a little football scheduling news, and this That's is uh, this is key for you know. I, I know that our our friend Noah Goldberg is very interested in uh, this information. UCF was scheduled to play FAU uh, on uh, in uh, 2025. That game has been moved back to 2028. Yeah, I think partly uh, FAU, I guess, had scheduled FIU in the same day. Obviously, from a UCF standpoint, you're going to have nine conference games in the Big 12. So, good good thing for both sides. Hey, let's just push it back a few years. So, uh, Noah's going to have to wait a little longer on the football end. <laughs> uh, which, in football, it's just so bizarre to like talk about a game that's going to be played, what, five years from now? I mean, who knows what we're, everybody looks well, like. But uh, Well, let's well, yeah, well, let's I, take a look I, at this, I think you're going to see more of these quirks. Well, I was going to say, let's take a look at this, though, because it, the schedule, because UCF got a break by, another one of the other many breaks that UCF got by moving to the Big 12 is you only got to schedule three non-conference games instead of four, right. right? So here's what it looks like right now. Remember, we were talking about all the schedule problems UCF has. 2023 and 24 are set. 2023, Kent State at Boise State, Villanova. 2024, New New Hampshire, excuse me, Sam Houston, and then at Florida, October 5th. So you're probably going to have an early conference game somewhere mixed in an early September. Assuming Florida keeps the game, obviously if the SEC goes to nine conference games, there could be a move there. May not. They might move the Miami game. Who knows? Yeah. Yes. As of now, yes. 2025, they still, UCF has two dates set uh, at Maryland and home for North Carolina. So they need to get one more. They, we have nothing in 2026 yet. 2027 North, at North Carolina, home for Louisiana. And then 2028, Maryland, FAU, home, back-to-back. So all of a sudden, it's like it's slowly but surely kind of coming together. 
Well, it is, and I think obviously you want to get your home games. Remember, in the Big 12, nine conference games, there's going to be years we only have four home games, five road games in conference versus five and four. So you got to balance that out from a scheduling standpoint. I think on years where you have four home games, you probably want to get three non-conference home games to get to seven or at least two of them. So I think you're going to see a lot of FCS teams fill that schedule out a little bit. Um, we'll see. It's uh, it's part of the challenge. But you're right. It, you, know, by, you can move things around, add some pieces. Uh, I expect some announcements here within the next year or two about some of those future dates that you talked about that are open. Who do you want to see? Like, I'm looking at the schedule right now. Like, the 2025, you got two ACC teams. What do you – do you want to see UCF play, like, just drop an FCS in there? Or do you want to see, like, someone I'm else? I'm the wrong guy. I'm the wrong guy because I hate the fact that FCS and FBS play each other in football during the season. Uh, but it's not going away, and I think that's what they're uh, going to No, no. Do. You are, in that case, you are the right guy, I should say. Because, right. you know, do, do you want to say – okay, let's say it's let's say it's a non-FCS team. Let's say – who do you want? What kind of a team do you want to see mixed in there if you're playing two ACC teams? I should say, uh, Maryland's not in the ACC. See, that's man, that's a hard thing to let go. There you uh, go. It's, it's an ACC and a Big, Big Ten team. <laughs> so who, who do you want to see? Uh, you know, I mean, that's pretty – I would say – I mean, obviously the obvious answer would be a Miami type, you know, an in-state battle like that would be great in a perfect world. But it's not. Look, it's going to be an FCS team. Uh, if you're going to do an FCS, pick a Florida team, Bethune or an FAMU would be fine. Um, it, and it's not a UCF criticism. This is a college football as a whole. Everybody plays FCS. It's not like UCF's doing anything different than other schools are. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 25, if you do the math, because I believe that year, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, they would have four conference home games more than likely, right? Because it's every uh, other year. Let's see. Four, this year they're playing yeah. four home games. So uh, odd years yeah. we get four home games. Even years we get five conference home games. So you look at 25, what, Maryland is at home, you said? No, Maryland is in College Park. Ooh, North, Carolina, North Carolina is, yeah, I know. Yeah, obviously that's going to be that's gonna North be Carolina is It'll be an FCS yeah, That'll all be right. A home game. I wonder if they try to move that Maryland game if they could fit another home game in there. Don't be shocked if things like that happen. But ooh, Maryland, I got family in Maryland, so I can. Why, why not? Why not drag FIU up here and kick them around for sixty minutes? See what happens. Wow, Scott Carr, huh? I want to bring back Scott Carr for a visit. <laughs> and uh, who's the head? Who? Well, I mean, who's the head coach now? If I forgot who's the head coach, I, forget. I don't. Yeah, whatever. It's FIU. But yeah, no, I mean FIU. Not off the top we don't have head. to go down there and play in that high school stadium. That they play. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, last little bit, actually a little bit more football. Uh, Nick and Kyle and I were at the Orlando Guardians uh, home opener um, this past weekend. Uh, one UCF player in particular, uh, Nick, uh, that we wanted to talk about, uh, Ter- Terrence Plummer, um, who played uh, who played well in this in that home opener. I thought he had a key sack and a forced fumble. Um, you know, it was a rough day for the for the Guardians. They lost to San Antonio thirty to twelve at home. And here's what I think is interesting. And I want to know what you think, Nick, because like it's the the issue that I saw was that the it, it the the guys just don't have enough reps uh, for you know together. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and you can just tell. Right? 
So, it, it, and, and you know, th- I think you kind of have to throw the score out. It's like as soon as these guys start getting more reps together, I think it, I think it'll be it'll be much better. But it was good to see Terrence play. What were your thoughts on this this first weekend? I had so much fun doing it. Uh, I was really impressed with the crowd. I, I texted you the amount yesterday. I believe it was around twelve thousand. Which yeah, yeah, I was really happy with. You know, I think the league keeps promoting itself. It's that's going to go up a little bit. Um, Terrence Plummer himself, I was really impressed with. Like you mentioned, he had a couple big tackles, including that forced fumble. Um, you know, part of that I think is because you and I talked about this. There's a smaller roster. What is it like? 40 something. 50, 51. 51. 51 players on the total roster. Forty five dressed for the game. So that roster's yeah, tight. Dressed for the game, right? So like you know, you're going to get more opportunities to make plays, and you know, I think he took advantage of that. Um, what the rep thing, I totally agree with that. It's, it's just the only thing is like, I feel like you can say that about every team in the XFL. It's that true. Because it's definitely part of, you know, some of their struggles this weekend. But, you know, I think, you know, it lit, the other part just comes down to the type of players they got. Like, that's all I, I have. But, I, I think that the key that the key for the team is is in the offense. Yeah, no. And I think what you were saying, you know, watching the first two weeks of the XFL, I think that the the offenses are they're on the, the it seems like the ones that are really good are you know, they're they're kind of already there. Right. The the others are on the verge of clicking. Like we just we saw a couple we saw several plays I think where you know, a a dropped pass, a penalty yeah. You know, really prevented the the game from I think turning into possibly a shootout. You know, it, it looked it was looking really good early. I thought, you know, um, Paxton Lynch was just a little bit off. I think that they have really uh, they, they, that they have a, a little something going that quite interesting. I think with DeAndre Francois, yeah, um, as well. Um, it's just a matter of you know making the you know getting everything to click, and it's 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 a it's an uphill battle for you know for for the coaching staff and Terrell Buckley. But I think that you know, I think that they know that there's there's a good if it starts clicking and they need it to start clicking real quick that you know they could turn it on in the right in the right position they're owing two right now but you know I, I think that they they're as close to turning it around and really turning it on as any team in the league from what I've seen I think we've seen like sort of the max of a couple teams right now like I mean yeah. uh, like Ar- Arlington I think is kind of hitting their peak and um but UCF or, or excuse me Orlando, they have it when it starts. I, I think that there's the biggest delta, so to speak, from where they are right now to where they they can be because they have some talent on offense, man. They, Eli they Rogers are, is out there. 100% do. Like, yeah. I love their running backs. Like, it's as simple as this their next game is a must win. It's yeah. as simple as that. They have to win this next game and, you know, maybe build momentum. They'll be back home on March 11th. They'll get a rematch against Houston. I'll be interested to see how that goes. They just, I, as the season goes on, I think they'll get better. But that's kind of like what you can say about all of them because they'll just get more right. reps. They just, it's a little harder considering we're already like a fifth of the way through the year because there's only ten games. I know it happens quick. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. By the way, that was the other thing that actually that, I, that you know, as a fan, I really enjoyed was how quick the games went. Oh yeah, that game was over in two and a half hours. Yeah, I know. I remember you like saying like you're like it's only been like an hour and a half, and we're starting the second half. Yeah, we're starting the second half. Usually, 
usually the first half alone lasts, you know, in, especially in college in the NFL, lasts more than an hour and a half sometimes. Oh, yeah. um, you know, we I were like starting, that. we were starting the second half right at 90 minutes, and the game just moved. It really moved, and um, and it was and it was fun. I think you know, again, I, I the quality of play is always going to be one of the key things with a new league, XFL, USFL, you name it. I think we saw last year, you know, in particular with the USFL, the quality of play really increased, and from the start, from the start of the year toward the end. Um, that Birmingham team that won that won the league with Marlon Williams from UCF in there was they looked sharp, sharp. They peaked at the right time, and you know my hope is that it you know is that it does the same for the Guardians. But like you said, yeah, got it, got to win this one coming up this week. I think, yeah, because you never know what could happen. Like you brought up Birmingham winning the USFL championship. They played against the Philadelphia Stars, and if I remember correctly, they were only like six and four, like, right? Like that, you know impressive a record but like it's only a 14 playoff so if you could just get hot at the right time and get in you could still win it yeah 10 game regular season right i mean so and and the and the and the league is divided into into two divisions with four teams each right um you know right now they have a north and a south all right and in the north you have dc at 2-0 and st louis at 2-0 and in the and here's the thing in the south yeah houston's 2-0 but if you beat them all right, you're pulling them back to the field. Yeah. Um, Orlando right now standing at 0-2. Uh, Arlington and San Antonio, who are also in the same division, are 1-1. One and, one. and, you know, when you look at um, Orlando's uh, schedule, and I want to see, um, you know, again, as we go into week three, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're at Arlington next week, so that's going to be key. You can pull one game back from that. Right, so against Adrian Killens, against Adrian Killens, that's right, in the Arlington Renegades, and then you're home for, and then all of a sudden you're home for Houston with a chance to get back to five, to get back to five hundred, and it's anybody, you know, it just like that in two weeks, it's anybody's game. So the next uh, next game overall for the Guardians is Sunday, March the fifth at four p.m. on um, on FX uh, against Adrian Killens and the Arlington Renegades, Uh, and then a week. Four is the next home game that will be on FX as well. Saturday, March 11th, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Orlando at home facing the Houston Roughnecks. So, um, like I said, a lot of football left to be played, a lot of development to be had, and I think it's it's fun watching, you know, guys who are you know trying to develop new skills and trying and trying to develop yeah. into even better players. Something that. Um, you know, I think pro football is needed for a long time. The fact that they're here in Orlando doing it, I think is, I think is great. So I had a lot of fun on, I had a lot of fun on Sunday, even despite the result. And yeah, uh, and I, I know you did too. So I'm hoping that this. I can't wait to go back, man. I really. I know. I, I, I it's. Uh, I hope that this continues to build. All right, I we're do. gonna we're gonna dip out here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Thanks again to uh, Kyle, uh, Drew, and Eric. The SOTG on Twitter is Kyle for the student of the game. Statboy Drew for Andrew, and of course, Eric Lopez Elo for uh, Eric. You can follow Nick at Nick Porcelli2, Nick Porcelli in the number two. Bryson is at It's Bryson Turner, and I'm, of course, at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow us collectively at Black and Gold Banneret on Twitter, which is UCF Banneret underscore SBN. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, uh, and uh, don't forget our YouTube channel as well. We'll be pushing a lot of content as well. And a little update on our branding. I remember last week that we said, 
that um, that our the branding of this podcast would change following this week's show. I actually got late word from SB Nation that they're going to extend us one more month as the Black and Gold Banner podcast while they while they sort out a landing spot for us in terms of hosting. So we're not going to be rebranding just yet. Either way, you won't have to change what feed you you download us for. Our feed will not change. You'll still have access to our previous shows as well. It's just that the name of the show will change. So if this new podcast pops on called called The Night Shift, don't worry about it. It's still us. We're still here. All right? So for all of us here at Black and Gold Banner, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week. This has been the Black and Gold Banner podcast, and we will catch you next week with more UCF Sports. Until then, go Knights. Charge on!